I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This evening we continue with our series, uh, Collects of Grace, on the Collects uh, for the season of Lent. And today uh, we are looking at the Collect for the third Sunday in Lent, uh, which is printed in your bulletin. Well, so far as I can tell, this Collect for the third Sunday of Lent has been significantly updated in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer from its previous version. I'm not sure that it was in the 1979 prayer book, actually, but I was able to find its previous version in the 1662. And what's been significantly updated in particular is that the opening line of this collect is new. Well, it's new to the collect. It's actually a line that's really, really old. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is taken from the opening of St. Augustine's Confessions, his now famous work written in 400 AD. But reading this wonderful line brought to mind for me the subject of our gospel passage from this past Sunday, the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. So tonight's homily will serve as a sort of postscript or follow-up to that sermon. Those of you who missed Sunday's sermon can find the audio and manuscript on tonight's live stream webpage if you want to listen to it later. But on Sunday we talked about how the Samaritan woman was seeking to quench her spiritual thirst, that is her God-given needs of comfort, value, and security, to quench that through worldly means, apart from God. We also talked about, though, that all of us do this in different ways. In her case, she was trying to do this through relationships with men. But it wasn't working, of course. As with any addictive cycle, it was satisfying to her emotional needs less and less and less as time went on as she went from relationship to relationship. While at the same time, it began to pile up more and more problems and consequences in her life. Well, in this way, Augustine's line sums up her reality and our reality pretty well. That God has made us for himself. And that our hearts will be restless until we learn how to find our rest in Him. Well, the season of Lent is when we often think about making some progress against our sinful habits. Really to progress into greater self-control, right? Which is a fruit of the Spirit, self-control is. I want to suggest, though, that the way we tend to go about achieving self-control, whether in Lent or any other time of the year, the way we tend to go about it is often misguided. Pastor and teacher Chuck DeGroat observes that the way he most often sees Christians attempting self-control is, quote, motivated by self-contempt. For example, 
Someone might say, I don't like myself, or I'm too fat, or I drink too much, or I never exercise. But he suggests that treating oneself in this way, speaking such words to ourselves, is far afoot from the fruits of the Spirit St. Paul is describing and he's aiming for. This approach makes even less sense, though, in light of what we talked about this Sunday when we discussed how our addictive behaviors, which we all have in different forms, at their core, our addictive behaviors are rooted in feelings of worthlessness, either consciously or subconscious feelings. So self-contempt and self-judgment may feel like the helpful path to kind of kick us in the rear and get us going on the right path, but in the long run, they'll actually make our sinful habits worse because they compound those underlying sense of worthlessness that drive us to sin in the first place. In her recently published book titled Try Softer, Andy Kolber explains that the reasons we're prone to respond to our sin by being hard on ourselves is often rooted either in traumatic experiences where we came to acquire the sense of worthlessness I was talking about, or in the fact that frankly many of us were brought up or taught to believe that growth and behavior change come through shame, right? Whether in our own lives or in the lives of others. That we can use shame to control others or get them to behave. But the reality is that when anyone, whether it's someone else or ourselves, when anyone is on the receiving end of toxic shame, it actually only compounds that sense of worthlessness. This at the root of our sinful behavior in the first place. So when it comes to how we respond to our own failures and our own shortcomings, while every one of us may have this, this inner critic that tries to motivate us to do differently through self-condemnation, Kolber and others suggest that the best path forward is actually just the opposite. The best path forward is through learning to be compassionate to ourselves. To be compassionate to ourselves. Now to many of us it may seem like self-compassion for our failures would be to go too easy on sin or to let ourselves off the hook. But in truth, to practice self-compassion is actually to emulate God's heart toward us. And this is where I'm remaining at least loosely connected to tonight's collect, which follows that Augustine line by asking for God's compassion on our heartfelt desires and asking him to purify the desires we have that are disordered. Well, I would suggest that for any of us who are in Christ, compassion is always God's disposition toward us, even in our sin. His disposition, his response, is compassion. You know, one of the most difficult words to translate in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word, Hesed, which in, in English we might spell H-E-S-E-D, Hesed. It's often translated in the Old Testament as the phrase steadfast love or loving kindness, kind of depending on your translation you're using. 
And it actually appeared, though, in the final verse of our psalm tonight, 4426. And there it was translated as mercy. Right? But this word has said actually appears all over the scriptures. It appears 248 times in the Old Testament. And it's meant, whenever it appears, essentially, it's, it's, it's describing God's heart, God's character toward us, toward his creation, which is a heart of unconditional loving compassion, right? You can't really use one word to translate said. It's like all those together, right? So we see in the Old Testament God's disposition of compassion toward his creation, toward his creatures. But then we see this manifest in spades in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who shows us in a human way what God's really like. Time and again, we see Jesus being compassionate, or are told of his compassion. For example, famously, he would, he would see crowds of people, like before the, the feeding of the 5,000, he'd see crowd, saw crowds of people who, uh, according to Matthew, were harassed and helpless. And the scripture says, and Jesus had compassion for them. Harassed and helpless by sin and illness and everything else. Jesus' response is compassion. And then, of course, in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, after that son, has, the prodigal one, has gone away and squandered all of his inheritance and doing God knows what, reckless living, we're told, so you can use your imagination, or maybe don't. Once he comes to him, once the son comes to himself and returns, his father sees him, right? And we're told that while the son was still a long way off, right, coming up the road, his father saw him, and, and Jesus said, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him, and kissed him in a way that that son didn't feel like he ever deserved. Perhaps he didn't, but God loved it in that way nonetheless. Well, of course, this son, the prodigal son, represents all of us in our sin whenever we turn away from God in our sin. While the father represents God and his compassion for us, his enduring and unconditional love toward us whenever we turn back to him. So tonight I put forth to you that the gospel is that in Christ, God's heart toward us is always one of compassion, not judgment. Indeed, I would even say that God believes that the best path to changing our character is through loving us rather than through using judgment or shame. So if we believe that gospel, and surely we do if we look at the cross and see his great love for us, if we believe that gospel, how do we come to think that self-judgment and self-condemnation is really a, a viable path to freedom from our sin. It's not. So my encouragement tonight is that we begin seeking to learn to practice. We try it out. We try to practice self-compassion, compassion toward ourselves in response to our failures. You say, well, how is that done? Well, this is done by learning to acknowledge difficult feelings when we experience them, 
right? To go off script a second, if, if worthlessness is a core cause of our sin, remember we define that Sunday as a sense that our experience doesn't matter. Our emotional experience doesn't have worth. And so for us to give attention to our emotional experience is to counteract that. But also, in addition to acknowledging our feelings when we experience them, even acknowledging our failures, but responding to those failures with comfort and truth, such as that we are gloriously loved and valued by God, right? That we, He has deemed us as great worth and forgives us unconditionally. Now, as you imagine this, you may be thinking that talking to ourselves may feel like sort of a weird thing to do. And that is kind of what I'm suggesting. But let's be honest. We all talk to ourselves all the time. It's just usually judgmentally with that inner critic in response to our failures. So all I'm suggesting is that we counter that voice with the compassion Christ has toward us. And just see, just give it a chance to find out which voice bears better fruit for righteousness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.